0: Father in heaven, we're so thankful to thee that we can be here in your house in this morning, Lord, that we could be moved by thy spirit in the Bible class and to rejoice with the fellowship that we could experience in seeing our loved ones, Lord. Um, Some that we've not seen for, for quite some time and others that have traveled and are now returning home, and Lord, we're just rejoicing with that. We pray, Father, that as we would look into your word in this day that you'd speak to us from it. Pray that the distractions of this world would be Put at bay, and that we could focus on the message that's needful for each of our hearts, and that we'd be able to take it then and apply it to the world that we will go back to, even this afternoon. Father, we're we're mindful of many struggles and many um, burdens that are on each of our hearts, and, and Father, even in our world as we see chaos spinning around us, but we take such comfort and strength in looking into Your Word and knowing, Lord, that the truths that have been there for thousands of years remain for us today and are not just old stories, but empowering and an inspirational, Father, and an instructive to our lives today. And so, Father, as we would look into your word now, we'll give you thanks in advance for it. Pray that you'd be with those who couldn't be with us in this day and would minister to their needs as well. And for it, I will thank thee in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you would, turn with me To the book of Galatians, chapter one of Galatians. Um, I was late coming into the Bible class and was hearing the back end of the, the discussion. And at first, I got a little nervous when I saw that you were in Galatians. And that's actually a chapter that I was reading last Sunday afternoon. But in doing so last Sunday, what it really struck me was that there was a need, for me specifically, to go back to the beginning of Galatians and see why was the Apostle Paul writing this letter? What was the point behind it? And why is it a little bit different than some of the other letters that he had written? Um, it's not a long book. And honestly, it's one that uh, we're not going to do this today. But it's one that you almost need to, run, to read cover to cover. You need to run, read it right front to back and to get the full perspective that the Apostle Paul was was trying to share. Um, I don't know how far we'll get today. Uh, I don't know how many chapters we will get through. I plan to start and stop at different times, and we'll see see where we unfold here. Uh, So starting just with verse 1, chapter 1 of Galatians. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ, And God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me, unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you, and peace from God the Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ, unto another gospel, which is not another, but there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, So say I now now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of men, neither was I taught it, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in times excuse me, yes, heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the Church of God and wasted it, and profited it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went unto Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, there, behold before God I lie not. Afterwards I came unto the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which are in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us, persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which he once destroyed." And they glorified God in me. We'll stop here for just a moment, having read the first chapter. If you flip to the other, or the other letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, um, the intro that he uses here is different than what's more consistent. And I'll just read you one. In Ephesians, he says, "Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are in Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus." He, he introduces himself as an apostle many, many different times, but when he starts this one here in Galatians, he says an apostle, and right off the bat, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Even just the verses that we read here in the first chapter, we get Paul setting up this premise, or setting up his position, as not being one that had come from sitting at Peter's knee or at James' knee or at John's knee and learned these things having walked with the disciples. He wasn't one that had come from, uh, he had been taught in the Jewish law and and was a a scholar of all things um, Jewish. But when it comes to Christianity, this is something that he experienced in Revelation by Christ on the road to Damascus and then implemented his teaching or brought about his teaching and his preaching and his ministry, his gospel, God's, Christ's gospel, was one that was revealed to him directly from Christ. And we'll see that he starts that premise and he starts to make that line uh, very clear to the Galatians because in contrast to the other letters that he writes, where he goes through almost a full chapter of introductions and salutations and greetings, and we're so thankful that for all of the good news we hear, right, pretty quick to start this, he says in verse six, "I marvel that so soon that ye are so soon removed from him that hath called you into the gospel of Christ unto another gospel." It boggles my mind that you are so quickly pulled away from that gospel that you received. I'm shocked that, it's, that it was so easy for you to go after another gospel. Is basically what he says six verses into the, chapter, into the book. And then he goes on to say that it's, it's not even another gospel, but there's some among you that would trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. What had happened was that somebody had come, some had come in. Uh, we're going to read it in chapter 2. He talks about them as being false brethren that had come in and were starting to preach another gospel. Now, we read this all through the New Testament, talking about the circumcision and the uncircumcision. And it is the great identifier between ones that would follow after Judaism and would follow after the law and those that would follow after Christ and and follow after grace. We'll just leave it as separated and simplified that way. And it's kind of one of those awkward things that even as kids in Sunday school, we we always go, "Why?" circumcision. Why is circumcision written in there so many times? Why do we have to talk about it in that context? This medical um, procedure has so much biblical significance. And it's one that I'd struggled with for many years too, is to understand the importance. Why was this something that was so harped on? But I think what we're going to, what I hope we're going to see as we unpack the Apostle Paul's descriptions to the, the church in Galatia here was, what he was seeing were those that had not just tried to add some restrictions and some requirements to their new Christian walk. Trying to add some requirements to these Gentiles that were now going to be believers. But in doing so, in trying to get them to embrace these expectations of the law, it was requiring a forfeiture of their relationship with Christ. That you couldn't live under both covenants. I don't think I appreciated that often enough. I've always looked at it in terms of, well, when they talk about adding, you know, that they wanted these uh, new believers to be circumcised, that it was just like asking them to come and put a tie on when they come to church, or asking them to, you know, not um, go gallivanting out in the bars anymore, or whatever. Whatever your renewed life was going to be, whatever you did in your old nature to forsake that and come, those sinful nature things, or not even sinful nature things, but those liberties that we might have otherwise taken to set those aside, and, and that's where I placed circumcision as one of those things that just wasn't necessary. But what the Apostle Paul was, is going to unpack for them here is that it's not that simple. It, it's not that simple. It is. It was more fundamental, and his fear was that by allowing those departures, oh, excuse me, by allowing those requirements of the old covenant to be imposed on the new, it was going to break the covenant of grace. And maybe let's read a little further so we can hopefully unpack that a little farther. Paul continues on his story about where he came from and and, and how his ministry unfolded. Chapter 2 starts, Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I met up with and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel which I preach unto the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. So just to clarify what he's talking about here, he's saying, For fourteen years he's been preaching. And in chapter one he says, without them even knowing his face, they didn't really know who he was. They didn't this wasn't he wasn't the Apostle Paul at this point. You know, lights on a marquee, he was coming to arrive at a church and have a, a sermon. He wasn't the superstar that we see him as now. This was just a preacher that had been saved by grace, on the road, had his path turned around, and had gone preaching for fourteen years and had good success. We see where his missionary journey had taken him. And so now it says that he's going up to Jerusalem and he was gonna meet with the elders, and it'll say in another in a minute here, those of reputation. Peter, James, John, talk to them, explain to them the gospel that he had been preaching so that there there would be unity to make sure that he was not running or had not run in vain. Verse 3, But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren, unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be of somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seemeth to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when we saw When they saw that the gospel of uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of circumcision was unto Peter, for he had wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, that was the same with mighty, the same was mighty in me towards the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that the grace was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen. And they unto the circumcision. OK, stop for a second. Simply put, we have an experience where Paul has this ministry. He has been called to go to the Gentiles. We know that that was his calling. We also know that he, every spot he went, it says as his manner was, he went into the synagogue and, and argued with the Jews, so he still had a passion for his people. But his ministry was to go to the Gentiles. And to preach unto them the gospel of grace, the gospel of Christ, and it was his conviction that, that that circumcision was not going to be a necessity, that it was not necessary for them to embrace that portion of the Jewish law, and as we can see unfolds in the rest of the book here, his his rationale for that was by doing something that would be so wholly Jewish, so solely Jewish, they would run the risk of enslaving themselves to the rest of the law. And he will we'll continue to unpack that. But un, as in order to get that confirmation, in order to get that in endorsement, can I use that word? He goes to the, to the pillars in Jerusalem, and I think it's funny in, in this chapter two, he says, you know, I went to the ones of reputation. Whether they had a reputation, it makes no matter to me, but they were the ones that were the leaders. And he said he went to James, and to John, and to Peter, and in it even clarifies that Peter had the conviction to go to the Jews and to be preaching to the Jews and and to the circumcision, to to work to convert uh, Jewish Christians. And as they didn't put any restrictions on Peter, it says that they also didn't put any restrictions on Paul. And Paul, it says they extended unto him the right hand of fellowship, effectively blessing the ministry that he had, saying that this this testimony of, of 15 years or 14 years of, of preaching and of mission work that you have done, um, that, it's, that we endorse it, that we bless it, that we are thankful for it, and that it is in concert with what they were preaching and, and teaching there in Jerusalem. There were only a couple of things that he did ask them for. He says, Only that they would that we should remember the poor the same which I was, which I also was forward to do. So that, you know, that there were some things that were going to be required of them. We'll, we'll read, and we have read actually in our Bible studies on Wednesday night of the, um, the, the meeting in, in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 that, that explains these things and where they really had the debate on circumcision or non-circumcision and so on. And, and there were other things that were added to that, that they should abstain from idols and abstain, for, or abstain from meats that are offered to idols and so on. That's not part of today's discussion. But effectively, we have a, a meeting of these two or three or four brothers and an agreement on the path of ministry that they would continue in. In verse twelve, or excuse me, verse eleven. But when Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came to James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision, and other Jews dissembled, likewise with him. insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. So he uses, he explains this situation that we've read about. And we know so well where um, Peter was being a bit hypocritical and Paul confronts him and says that this is not, you know, you're, you can't get away with this. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth, I said unto Peter before them all, if thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified, but he. While we seek, but, excuse me, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I may live unto Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is is die is dead in vain. At the end of the chapter here, he really harps on this, this point. He's doubling down to, to point out how necessary it is for us to have, or not necessary is not the, the word, crucial, how critical it is for us to have complete reliance on our relationship with Christ. That I have to be crucified with him that all of the desires and the intents and the plans and the efforts that I would put out in my human state need to be crucified so that the Spirit could indwell me and empower me. He hasn't got there yet to say it, but rather than continuing to read through the, the, whole, the whole book right now, a few of the things that really struck me and that I think we, we need to think about If we allow ourselves to be shackled back to an old nature, we immediately forsake the power of the Spirit in our lives. It's not possible for us to live with feet in both nations. It's not possible for us to, to operate in, in, in two places at the same time. And what Paul was trying to, to get to with the, the Galatians here was you're trying to put on a lot of your old Jewish clothing. You're trying to put on a lot of the other things that made you feel comfortable, that made you feel an identifier. And it probably was, um, it probably was a big shock, right, to, to have a new gospel preached to you that it's not necessary to do all of these things after the law. The, the, the law that had been with them from little on up The first thing that they probably remembered about their parents as Jews was all of these things that they were taught. And so as now a a group of, of believers who are embracing this new faith in Christ, they're wondering how many of those old things that they need to bring with them. And when others come, Gentiles, outsiders, come into that fellowship and into that faith, They look at him and go, "Well, how much of the stuff that made us who we are do they need to do? How many of those things that were schoolmasters—we'll read that a little bit um, later—another translation talks about as guardians, that that guardian of the law that taught us who, who God was and pointed us toward Him. How many of those things should be necessary for us to apply to somebody else?" And here's this preacher that comes, who had been the biggest persecutor of those believers and had been the staunchest Jew that there was at the time, makes this 180 degree turn and now is preaching that, listen, it's not necessary. What you need to do is forsake all and follow after Christ. In Ephesians 2, it was quoted in the Bible class, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. How hard was that for these folks to understand? Probably a little bit harder than it is for us, but not much. Not much. Because we're conditioned in the same way. Right? I mean, I I can see it in in the kids' lives already when we're trying to teach them to be responsible, trying to teach them that they have uh, tasks that they need to do, that they're responsible for doing work, and when you do work, then you're rewarded for it, and hard work, and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, and all those things that we learned. And not even just learned from our parents, but learned by example from our loved ones around us, from all of you. I'm not saying it's your fault, but I'm saying this is who we are, how we are, and how we were raised. There's a lot of Jewishness in us, maybe, in that way. And I think, I, I, can't even, I know, that when it comes to our relationship with God, that is one of the hardest things for folks that have grown up in our circles to understand and to overcome, is that it's not anything we do. It's something that he did that we have to have faith in and have have faith in and accept that grace. Surrender and acceptance. We, it, it, it's so hard. Because we at the same time that we're teaching our kids, at the same time that I was being taught to work hard in school, make sure that you get yourself a, a good... Education was the same time that I was sitting in the benches at camp and being told to surrender all and to forsake all and and to turn my life over to God. And I'm thinking, it's a dichotomy. These things are in conflict as a child, I think. It's not the case. They're not in conflict. But we have to work out where the separation is. And what I struggled with for myself, and I know others have struggled and continue to struggle with, is how do we get to that point where we are willing to say, God, I can't do any of this. There's nothing else I can do. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take every aspect of it. And I'm going to have the faith that you will do the work. And I said that for a couple years. And I said that, and then tried to figure out what were the pieces that I was going to try to put together. What was the? It wasn't a question of circumcision for me, but was it a question of how how much Bible reading am I going to do? How many stickers am I going to put on my bags or my books at school that say uh, scripture verses? Or what other things am I going to do to make myself look like the Christian that I want to be? And then I would read a scripture and it would say, I can't think of an exact example right now, but there would be some obscure thing in scripture that said, and do such and such. And I would take it and I did such and such and nothing changed. And then it said, don't do such and such. And I wouldn't do such and such and nothing changed. Because there was no power in it. There was no indwelling of the Spirit in my life to direct my life in the path that he would have. Effectively, I was just trying to be circumcised. I was just trying to live my life that looked like a Christian, but was chained to the law. Enslaved to the law. And it sounds silly. Paul pri- is, is reading this or preaching this, writing this, I should say. Writing this to believers. He's writing this to those who have been redeemed and now have chosen to re-enslave themselves to the old law. And it seems silly. Why would one do that? Why would anybody do that? But we're conditioned by our nature, by our human nature, and by our um, taught, probably Western nature maybe is a better way to say it, that we have a need for that, that we have a need for control, that we will define the, the path of our life. Rather than living in full surrender. Living in full surrender and acceptance of a gift that we didn't deserve. We think we deserve it, right? We think we deserve everything. That's another one. I, I don't mean kids' stories all the time, but we've the last couple of weeks, we've had to have this discussion a number of times that just because one child got one thing does not mean that the other child is getting exactly the same thing. Shockingly, they don't realize we're not a communist house. Not everybody is getting everything the same. We'll make an effort that it's the same. We'll make an effort that it balances out in the end, but it doesn't come, you know, you get your three, whatever. Cookies, you get your three cookies, and you get your three cookies. You know what? One might get a brownie, a cupcake, and three cookies. And we're not going to argue about it. And somebody is going to have this responsibility. Somebody's got to do that chore, and somebody's got to do that chore. And it might take different amounts of time for each one. It's not going to be the same all around. But we have this um, we have this expectation that by doing these things, that we'll have some reward come back. We have this expectation. I, I, I'm trying to be better at not giving specific examples. Um, so I'm trying to make up ones that aren't so pointed to what happens in our actual house. But I mean, it's not really working all that well. But we've had some, we've had some struggles with Attitudes. And attitudes not being as willing, uh, as helpful. Willing to be helpful. Or willing to be helpful for a very finite amount of time. And then when mommy and daddy push one second longer, then everything else dissolves. And it becomes just utter chaos. And this is not specific to one, two, or three. And so the other night we had to have the conversation that that we all have to be, we all give some effort here. We're all members of this family. We all have to contribute. And the way we contribute is different, each one. Yes, when Dad gets home, he sits on the couch for a couple minutes. But he hasn't been on the couch all day long. And so don't tell me that I need to do my chores because you're doing your chores. I did my chores. And I'll do them all day Saturday. And when you're done with them, it's not that, okay, well, how much am I getting paid for this? How much, how much am I going to get paid for this chore that I just did? I'm sorry, you have a bed upstairs and there's food on the table. Consider that your payment. But we have this, like those little things that we're experiencing and, and struggling to, to teach out, um, or teach up, I guess I should say, are exactly the same things that we see in our lives. That, that my effort, the something that I've done, that my emphasis on the effort and the action that I've taken should have some other kind of reward. It does. As we serve the Lord, as we, as we minister to those around us, as we share Christ's love with those that we would encounter, there is a reward. It's the blessing of being able to be used by him. Sometimes we say our reward is, is out of this world. But you know what? It's absolutely in this world too as we get to be exercised in the Spirit, as we look at the back of Galatians, which we'll read probably in a week or two, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. I appreciate Jeremy points out it's not fruits. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Those things exercised in our lives are are the blessing and the reward for a life lived in Christ. They're also the responsibility and the requirement of a life lived in Christ. The funny part is, these. if we look back at what the, the Jews were asking for here, this is a painful process. This is a sacrifice that was made. It was to be one of the circumcision. To have to put these laws back on your responsibility. To put these shackles back on your life. This was a hard thing. And for some reason, they were very, very willing to go back and do that. The opposite of which would have been the life lived in Christ where to be exercised in the Spirit is the blessing of a lifetime. Does it have times of, of, of trial? Are there? Of course, we read about all kinds of different trials. But who doesn't want to live a life of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, meekness temperance? I never remembered why. I could never understand why it said, against such there is no law. When I learned the fruit of the Spirit during VBS, I don't know, wow, 25 years ago probably, we sang the song, Aunt Joanne's here this morning. Like we, I, I can sing, I'm not going to do it this morning. Renee can sing the same one. Jeremy's doing the same thing. But we sang the song. It didn't say at the end of the song, for against such there is no law. But as a kid, I didn't understand what that meant. What it's saying is that if we live in the spirit and those things are exercised in us, there is no law against us. The law of sin and death does not apply to us if we are living in the spirit. So shame on us if we look at our lives and think, you know what, I want to be I I need to put some restrictions on this. I'm gonna I'm gonna dive myself back into that old nature. I'm gonna reshackle myself to that old nature. For the Jews, it was easier to to understand the detail, right? It was a circumcision. It was a physical thing. It was was super simple to see. For us, it's a hidden thing, I'm sure. There are probably other things that we, we want to reapply to our lives, or not even want to reapply, but that the devil comes in as one of these false brethren, unawares, and come in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. The devil knows what that thing was in your old nature that will be so easy to bring you back into bondage. I don't know what it is. I might know what it is for me. Some of the folks closest to you might have some insight into what it is for you. But is it anger? Is it jealousy? Is it covetousness? Is, I don't know. But if I ask God to shake out the weeds and the, the dust in my life to reveal what is that thing... What is that hook? What is that desire, that, that temptation of my old nature that wants to bring me back into bondage and to pull me away from a life lived in the Spirit? We stopped with the, the verse that I really wanted to get to. We didn't get there yet. I'm just going to read the first verse of chapter 3. I love how Paul does this. I thought he was heavy-handed with verse 6 of chapter 1 where he's like, I marvel that so soon you've been removed from the calling, from him that called you. I'm shocked that it was so easy for you to be removed from the calling in Christ. And after he's explained some things, explained his credibility, explained how this process of his uh, position on the gospel was revealed, he gets to the beginning of chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth? crucified among you. Who hath bewitched you? Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? If somebody wrote us a letter like that, you imagine how fast you'd roll that thing up and throw it away? I would not, oh, foolish, I won't say Syracusans, oh, foolish Mike, who hath bewitched you that so quickly you would throw away the grace that you were saved by? I'm excited to go through the rest of it and to, to study a bit further to see what the reaction was. The timing of this, how it relates to Acts 15, I'm not 100% clear on. But I pray that that was, was a shocking thing for them to read. To shake them from this position that they were taking. Of, of re-enslaving themselves. I like I, I hate that phrase and I love it at the same time. Because I think it ex- it exemplifies what they were doing, but also gives me a bit of a shock to say, what are those things that may be seeking to re-enslave? And then we have to recognize that the freedom from those things is, again, not anything that we can do. It's not anything that we can apply. By discipline, hard work, sheer effort, we're not going to free ourselves from those things. They have to be turned over to the Lord and lived in surrender in the Spirit. Ask him to reveal what are those things that I might be playing too close with to reapply into my life. And then saying, Lord, you've got to take them away in an obedience. I'm going to forsake whatever it is. For I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But not I, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. And then again, another one that I don't think I really started to understand until the last couple of weeks. I do not frustrate the grace of God. Why don't I frustrate the grace of God? Why was Paul saying that? Because he was not going to allow himself to be re enslaved. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I'm not going to frustrate the grace of God. I'm not going to frustrate it by trying to, to. Make sure I have it fully applied and then to noodle on the edges here. I'm not going to grieve the Spirit. We can go into Thessalonians and look at some of the things that, that were written there. I'm not going to play, play fast and loose with the grace of God. I'm not going to risk it. And we'll read a little, we will read a little bit further in, in the next little while in chapter 5, actually, which you read some of this morning about what that freedom looks like. The freedom that this whole thought and the reason that we're in Galatians was this thought about freedom in Christ that had come, the Lord laid on my heart. And as I, I'm looking at it and, and recognizing how the freedom that we have from sin and death, from a life enslaved to the requirements of the law, if they were for the, the Jewish law, and for us from a, a sin nature, that we inherited and then we just added to. Freedom from that is something that should be more precious to us every day. But I fear becomes less precious every day. I think sometimes the longer we live and the more we experience, we, we have waves where we appreciate the, the love of God more than on other days. And so my, my encouragement, my caution this morning would be that we, we stay aware, that we stay keenly tuned into our relationship with the Lord and our, and our walk in the Spirit, that we would recognize the signs around us, to see how our hearts are moved when we see different things. I mean, the, the, the description that Paul gave here about when they met in Jerusalem and there was no more restriction put on, on to them other than to be mindful of the poor. Later on in chapter 5, he talks about ministering to the brethren and ministering to loved ones, like that, the, that the, the fruit of our victory, the fruit of our freedom in the Spirit, would be the love that we show to all around us. And so perhaps maybe that can be the indicator for us is that we would be more in tune and keenly aware of experiences and opportunities around us to share that love. It's interesting, the converse was taking place here, right? These false believers were coming in and they were looking for opportunities to apply a restriction. They were looking for opportunities to condemn somebody's walk and to, to shake something up and say, You're not doing that right. And on the opposite side, are we taking opportunity to to look for places and spaces to speak a little truth, to speak love? even as we see the world exploding around us i mean look at where we were last sunday as we watched the news and where we are today as we watch the news and you know I, I to those uh to those servicemen that sacrificed and went to afghanistan and now come home and and have to wonder what on earth what was this for that struggle i i'm over uh our neighbor man served in Vietnam, and so I was standing on the fence yesterday, and I asked him, I said, I, I just have a, a request. I said, you have a, a remarkable perse- perspective on your service there and, and, and what, what took place. I said, what should I tell? What, my, my brother-in-law was in Afghanistan, and I have, I'm going to see him next week, and I want to say something. I said, what can you say to somebody that has gone through that? And he says, just thank him. Just thank them for their service. Completely outside of what we're talking about this morning. But seeing those things around us. Being mindful and aware. that This was, this was only because Steve was next door that it came to mind. But being mindful of experiences that folks have made and being willing to, to speak a little love into their lives. So that the love of Christ that indwells us would be an example to them to make the change in their lives that has been made in ours. And I guess maybe that's the most important thing is that the evidence of the change in my life would be something that would spark a desire for change in somebody else's.